John the Baptist came on the scene in ancient Israel almost like out of, out of nowhere. Um, Israel was occupied by Rome. Roman soldiers walked the streets. There was a Roman governor there. Um, it was occupied by an empire whose capital was more than a thousand miles away. And the strength and brutality of the Roman Empire, I think, is difficult for us to grasp, not because of our social location in time, but because of geography, where we live in a very genteel world compared to that of the ancient Middle East. But there are people who are our contemporaries, people who are alive today, who understand very much what it would have been like to live under ancient Roman rule, people who live in countries like Saudi Arabia or Syria or Iran could tell you exactly what it's like. Israel was not a war zone at the time of Jesus and John the Baptist, but it was an occupied nation. There were soldiers on the streets, and the soldiers were there to keep the peace. And by keep the peace, it meant that if anyone was to try to stage some sort of coup d'etat, they would be executed. If young boys took up rocks and threw them at Roman soldiers, they would be chased down and beaten to death. This is the sort of peace that the Roman soldiers kept. But it was a world where you could, if you wanted to, pay your taxes, keep your head down, go about life. You could go to the market. You could have a, a meaningful vocation. You could raise a family. And so most people did exactly that. And the gospel picks us up at a day when just sort of a, a, this, um, this man, John the Baptist, had shown up on the scene. And he was, like I said, sort of an out-of-nowhere character. He, he's preaching outside of the city. And, and people are going out there to see him and to hear him. He is not like other preachers in the area. He is, um, he is not necessarily um, as, as uh, well-refined as they might be. He lives off the land. Um, he is rather rough looking. He wears his own homemade clothes made out of camel skins. Um, he's not a sight that is an attractive one to behold. And his preaching is very fiery. Um, his, his sermon is pretty, pretty straight on. Repent. Judgment is coming. But he's more than just a novelty. He's sort of a throwback. He was sort of a kind of preacher that people in ancient Israel had read about. People that were, you know, sort of in their, um, their, their uh, I don't know, hall of fame of preachers. Like, this is what the old-timey guys used to do. And then Jesus shows up on the scene one day where John is preaching. And John is baptizing people. And Jesus goes to John to be baptized. And at that moment, John the Baptist has an epiphany. It's like a... a the heavens open, and he has this prophetic moment. He recognizes Jesus, not because he recognizes him as a family member or, or a fellow Jew. He recognizes him in the way that only God can enable him to see him. And he says to Jesus, you perhaps remember the story? No, I will not baptize you. I'm not worthy to stoop down and tie your shoes. I won't do that. Jesus insists, though. And John turns and he looks at the crowd and he says to the people, this man right here, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John recognizes in that moment that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. He says it, he proclaims it, and, and Jesus' ministry begins. I imagine that John had to be thinking at that time. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Messiah is here. Now it's time for all those things that I preached about 
to take place. Judgment's coming. Sinful people, they're going to get it. Civic leaders who have hoarded money and resources while the poor have suffered, they're going to get it. The Romans, those dirty dogs who have done so much, so cruel, they're definitely going to get it. Judgment is coming. And it's not long after that, though, that John is arrested. He's arrested because one of his fiery sermons um, sort of uh, criticizes the local king for living in a, uh, an adulterous relationship. And so the wife of this king kind of uh, has, the, has John um, arrested, talks her husband into it in a convoluted affair, and John is arrested and thrown into prison. And while he's in prison, I imagine his friends came to him. I know they did, because this is how people survived in prison in the ancient world. They didn't, you know, have, you know, the cook down the hall who brought out the food. Family and friends had to bring food. If your family didn't bring you food, you starved. And, and so here it is, John's friends come to visit him, and they bring him food. I imagine they say prayers with him. And then John asks them the question, this fellow Jesus, what's he up to? Is he out preaching fiery sermons? Is he baptizing people in the river? Is he gathering an army together to war against Rome? I mean, these are the sort of things he would be asking, isn't it? And I can see his friends sort of sheepishly looking at him and saying, not really. Not really at all. In fact, um, we hate to be the ones to tell you this, but he goes to a lot of parties. Um, he, has, he has some people in his group that are revolutionaries, but he also has some tax collectors that are hanging around him. We hate to admit this, but we saw him talking to women in public. He even let them touch him. This is this, you know, a, a terrifying thing for a, a, an Orthodox religious Jew to imagine. No, he's he's not. He doesn't even criticize the government. The only people he criticizes are religious people. It's like he's on the wrong side. It's like he's doing all the things wrong. We're sorry, John, but he's nothing like you. And that's when John asked his friends to do a favor. All right, thanks for the grilled cheese sandwiches. Now I need you. I need you to go back to him. We have a question we need answered. This is your text. This is your gospel lesson. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, what he was doing, he sent word by his disciples, his friends, and said to them, Are you the one to come? Or are we to wait for another? I thought you were him. I thought you were the one. I told people you were the one. Are you the one? Did you catch the, the, the phrase, though? What the Messiah was doing. His acts, his deeds. This is what troubles John. Um, what is he doing? He's befriending sinners. He's speaking with women. He's not preaching against the government. He's not bringing judgment. He, he has no winnowing fork in his hand. He has grandma's paddle. <laughs> you ever seen Grandma's paddle? It, you know, it's like a it's like a paddle with a pillow on it. Um, this is what Jesus has. He doesn't have a winnowing fork at all. There's almost no judgment. Did I make a mistake? I know what holy men do and what they're supposed to do, and you're not doing that. You heard Jesus' answer too, didn't you? 
He responds to John, friends, go back and tell John what you see and hear. The blind see, the deaf hear, the mute can speak, the lame leap and run for joy. The dead are raised. Go tell him what I'm doing. Go tell him these things. And he's not just saying, I'm a miracle worker. Listen to me. He's saying, remember the scriptures. Remember the predictions. Don't just remember the judgment. Remember the whole thing. Isaiah 40. Here's a prediction. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather his lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Our Old Testament passage today from Isaiah 35, the eyes of the blind will be open, the ears of the deaf unstop, the lame man shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. John, don't be surprised by God's mercy. That was the plan all along. Don't be surprised that I'm speaking to sinners, that I'm, I'm speaking to people and, and, and welcoming them into God's family and, God's, and to be friends with God. And, and, then, and then Jesus turns, stops talking to John's friends, talks to a crowd that's gathered, and he asks them this, this sort of series of rhetorical questions, a very ancient rabbinical way of, 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 of teaching, and he says, what was it that you went out to see? When you went out to see John, what was it that you went out to see? A, a reed shaking in the wind? This is a, an ancient rabbinic uh, sort of idiom for somebody who says one thing in one crowd and another thing in another crowd. Is this what John was? It's rhetorical. No. <laughs> he said the same thing all the time in every place. What, what was it then? Did, did you go out to see a man dressed in fine clothes? Can you hear the people chuckling? <laughs> did you see what that guy wore? I mean, he wore animal skins. Did you go out to see a prophet, a man of God? Yes. That's what we went out to see. We went out to see a man of God. And then Jesus says one of the most enigmatic things, I think, he says in all the gospel, and he says lots of them. I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist, yet least in the kingdom of heaven, yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The kingdom of heaven is not the afterlife. It's not died and gone to heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the kingdom that God brings to earth in the here and now. It's the living saints among the church. The, the, the least in the church today is greater than John the Baptist. And I think to myself, how can that be? I mean, they make icons of John the Baptist with a halo on them. There are no icons of Joe Boisel with halos. And why are you laughing, Martha? They're not likely to be anytime soon, right? Well, here's the thing. I think the least in the kingdom of heaven might be greater because we get to realize the presence of the Holy Spirit. To, to find what it means to have resurrected life in the here and now. That we don't have to be judges of others because we don't want to. We eschew judgment lest we ourselves are judged. We don't have to skirt around the law. We, it, we can embrace it and love it because the law is planted on, upon our hearts. We don't need to exploit people we can love them. We don't need to have enemies. We can see all people the way that God sees them, as people in need of, save, of a Savior. 
And so when Jesus speaks of the kingdom of heaven, it's not the sweet by and by. It's the kingdom here and now, the one here upon the earth. And we can live as kingdom people in the here and now, not somewhere distant in the future. That we can know it now. That we can reject anger now. We can love our enemies here and now. We can, we can look for gentleness and mercy and peace here and now. We can work to restore the damage we've done physically to the environment and to our relationships with one another. We can make that happen here and now. We can say, I'm sorry, here and now. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, forgive people who say that to us. We can demonstrate to the world what it looks like to live under the Lordship of Jesus in the here and now. And I wonder if we could see where sin has destroyed our lives and find the power that comes from the resurrected life of Christ, the presence of the Holy Spirit in the here and now, to turn away from things that have destroyed us. To say we don't need to to abuse substances to find pleasure in life or to even to, to dull our pain. That we don't need to live lives full of greed but generosity. Not live lives that are consumed by, by sex, but rather by, by giving up ourselves for others. Not one that is consumed with selfishness or anger, but hope and love and kindness. There's a story of this um, young woman who was in Iceland, and she was visiting Iceland, and, um, and she boarded a tour bus, and it was going to all these different places, and it was going to the um, Elga, I think is how you say it, canyon, this Elga Canyon, and uh, you know how Icelandic has all these consonants in a row. Um, anyway, so she's on the, uh, to go visit this uh, canyon, and they get, this tour bus goes there, and the, everybody gets off, and she gets off, and, and she's looking at all this stuff, and she's a single woman by herself, and, and while she's off, she decides, you know, this is a good time to freshen up, so she goes to the, to the restroom and, and takes a change of clothes and, and changes her clothes and cleans up a little bit and then heads back and boards the bus, and as she gets back on the bus, she notices that some of the people are sort of in a little bit of a, a worrisome spirit. You know, they're, they're fretting over something. And she inquires what it is. And they said, well, one of our people ha- hasn't come back yet. And it's been a while. And they waited and they waited and waited. And they waited another hour or so. And still this other person hadn't arrived. And so the people on the bus said we should organize a search party and go find her. And so they all got off the bus and they all go hunting for the person. And, and this young woman is along with them. And, and um, al- along the way, somebody uh, says to her again, the description of the person they're looking for. Nobody knows her name. Young Asian woman in dark clothes, speaks very good English. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, this young woman realizes that the person that they're looking for is her. They've already called out the Coast Guard. There are helicopters flying around. And they're looking for her. And she found herself. And all of a sudden, everybody was delighted. Nobody had counted. They just went by, you know, it really happened. She's out looking for someone, and she found herself. Jesus reminds John the Baptist, and he reminds you and me, don't forget what you were looking for. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.